The Holding Court Podcast is powered by Fundraising University Ohio. Fundraising University Ohio offers a variety of fundraising efforts that help basketball teams run profitable, effective, and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most money in the shortest amount of time to reach their fundraising goals. Fundraising University Ohio is locally owned and operated, and with their six-step blitz system, will help your team maximize profits. As a former basketball coach himself, Brent Maxwell will sit down and help you pick, plan, strategize, and execute your fundraiser, which will allow you as a coach to devote more time to the other aspects of your program. If you're looking to take your fundraising efforts to the next level, contact Brent Maxwell at bmaxwell at fundraisingu.net or 740-501-8946 to learn more. Welcome to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Join hosts Adam Hall and Walt Serrato as they sit down with some of the biggest names in Ohio high school basketball and beyond. This show and all of our shows are available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find podcasts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it. Hello. Walt Serrato here with my co-host Adam Hall and we're excited to be joined by Dave Boyce, the head boys basketball coach at Perrysburg High School. Coach, thank you for joining us and welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. Good evening guys, thanks for having me. So coach, let's start at the beginning. You were a three-sport athlete at Cardinal Stretch. You go on to attend Bowling Green State for your undergrad and not long after that you land a position at Northwood High School right after graduating BGSU with a degree in finance. You know, and after coaching the boys freshman team Northwood High School for a couple seasons, you were named the boys varsity head coach. Was coaching basketball always the plan for you? Yeah, you know, when I went into um, college, my minor was education. So I, I think the best way to say it is that somewhere in the back of my mind, the thought was there. I actually was uh, working at the Toledo Hospital as a budget analyst for two years while I was the freshman coach. Well, I'm sorry, when I was in college and I was at the hospital my first two years as head coach. And my boss called me in for my two-year evaluation. He said, you know, you're doing a decent job and all that, but I don't think this is where you want to be. I was taking up all my sick time, personal time, everything there was to get on buses and go to early practices. So I quit that day, went back to uh, the University of Toledo, got my education certificate and teaching business and um, went, went after it from there. Is it true that you were just 22 years old when you were named the varsity head coach? Yeah, um, I was a, a freshman coach at the age of 20, and um, I became uh, the varsity coach at 22. I was a freshman coach for two years, and the, the gentleman who was ahead of me uh, was let go, and they, they asked me to take it. Wow. I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners, I know myself included, that we think about where our minds were when we were 22 years old compared to now. Um, and, you know, th- that train of thought, what's the biggest difference between a 22-year-old Coach Boyce to where you are now, a seasoned veteran of coaching, you know, you're approaching 600 career wins? You know, I think Northwood was a tough place to win. It wasn't really a basketball school, probably still isn't, probably not a lot of people in the stand. So I made a, a whole bunch of mistakes and, and not a lot of people were there to see them or remember them. But, you know, I think like a lot of guys, I was lucky, a lot of luck along the way, a lot of help along the way. And I had some guys call me. Um, I mean, like Jim Robinson, the head coach at Maumee, who's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he was at Lake at the time and they beat us and he 
talk to me and he said, come talk to me after the season. And I went out to his house and he spent three or four hours with me. And um, a former University of Toledo assistant by the name of Bob Conroy was at Ottawa Hills High School. And we beat them. And it was the first time Northwood beat Ottawa Hills in 10 years. And he did the same thing. He said, you know, you sort of know what you're doing, but you also are lacking a lot of stuff. Come on out and we'll talk. And it, it, I had a lot of help along the way. And, and then, you know, it's one of those things where you, you start to get into it. And when I got out of the accounting job, you know, I had more time to get into it then. So, Coach, after cutting your teeth for three years at Northwood, you moved to Columbus in 1985 and began coaching at Westland High School, where you would end up for the next 15 years. Take us through how that fell into place, and was there a certain moment, you know, maybe a season or a game, where you felt as though you had really gained your footing as a head coach and your ability to execute a vision that you had had in mind for that program? I went down to Westland as a varsity assistant, and a guy named Gary Schulte had come up from Newport, Newcath, Newport Central Catholic in Kentucky, had great success there, and he was at Westland for, for a year, and he hated it. And um, he called me in one day, and he said, you know, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to make sure you get it. So, you know, once again, a little bit of luck. Um, but, you know, Weston hadn't had a winning season in 10 years either. My first open gym, I think we had six guys there, and it was a big school. We had over 2,000 kids, but had a little bit of talent. You know, sort of the year before was when I was assistant, I was able to assess things. And my first year, we won eight. And then my second year, we were, we broke 500. We had the first winning season there in what was then 12 years. And, you know, we, we beat Grove Ford for the first time. We beat Gehanna for the first time. We beat Worthington for the first time. And I was starting to believe in the things I was doing. And the kids were believing in me. And, and uh, it, it was a great time to be there and to... Uh, to grow with those kids and to watch that community then really jump on the bandwagon. We had a great run for, for 15 years, 14 as head coach. And, you know, we, we built the program all the way down to the youth level. We got out in the community we did a thing called uh, uh, run with the Cougars that I got from watching, you know, Rocky run with the kids in the, in the streets. And we've actually been doing that at Perrysburg here also. We big in the youth program, you know, then we, then, then we got, got some real talent and then we won big for some years there. And, you know, I still have a lot of friends down there and it was a, it was a great time. So coach, you're 15 years uh, down at Westland. And then in 2000, you make the drive back home. You accept the position as the boys varsity head coach at Perrysburg High School. You know, at that time, Perrysburg had won just one league championship the previous 12 seasons kind of a two-part question here, you know, what were the changes you wanted to make right away and what maybe took a little longer to get established? I did the same thing at Perrysburg that I did at Weston, which was we made basketball important. You know, we, we got out in the community, we got down to the youth groups. We, I talked to teachers, you know, just me becoming part of Ohio, uh, the coaches association, you know, I was given the custodians t-shirts, the secretaries t-shirts, we made basketball important again at, at Perrysburg. The league had been very, very tough here, and it was a very tough league. And when we, I think we won it three of my first four years, I think that's when people really started to believe in what we were doing. You know, Perrysburg's a, a bigger school, totally different than Northwood, totally different than Westland. And, you know, I've, I've tried to build both programs with, with gym rats with kids who want to work on the game, kids who want to develop their skills, kids who, who it's important to. You know, I've told a million kids, if you're here because you're mom or dad, we don't want you. Uh, and I think, you know, the, 
we see that more and more. But we've taken our kids everywhere. You know, we go to Indiana, we go to Michigan, we go all over Ohio. And we've tried to put Perrysburg basketball in front of people and tell our kids that, hey, you know, we can compete with these guys. And sometimes early in my career, we'd lose, but they'd come off the court saying, we almost won that. And I said, we should have won that. And and they started to believe. And, and you know, we same thing, you know, uh, we had some talent and, and, we've, and we've had a great run here as well. We don't get any transfers here. And, and I didn't get any at Westland either. Um, and we certainly didn't get any at Northwood. So literally, whatever number of wins I'm on, every one of them have done have been done with kids who were part of our seventh and eighth grade teams. And we build it from the bottom up. And, you know, I think I think our parents believe in that, that they know that some, some kid's not going to come in and undercut the hard work that their kid has put in because we're not out recruiting other kids. So, Coach, I guess just quick follow-up to that. You know, it sounds great in, in, in the program you've built and, and, and how it's grown over the years. Talk about, um, did you see, get any challenges? Did you get any pushback early on from parents, from community members who maybe didn't necessarily buy into that vision that you had? And then how did you go about handling those situations? You know, I'll be honest. The thing I've done more than anything is I've been blunt with people and I've been blunt from the day I got into this. I'm, I'm blunt with the kids. I'm blunt with their parents. I think the first year I was there, I got rid of three kids from the year before. And I think the second year I was there, I got rid of a remaining three. And I think people understood from that point on that it was hard to be what I call a pretender. And, you know, if you were in, you were in. And if you were going to give us what you had, then we'd work with you. But I tell kids all the time, I see everything. And I, I see a pretender, I know one, and I'm not going to have you around. But, you know, I think honesty is huge. You know, I had an assistant coach a couple years ago say, hey, I got a parent call, and you want to know why I'm not playing their kid. What should I do? I said, well, why aren't you playing their kid? <laughs> I said, if you can't tell them why, then maybe you should be playing. I mean, just be honest with them. And, you know, I think we've, we've really done that in an effective manner. This will be my 42nd year as head coach, and I've tried to never really change who I am. I don't try and act like a, that I'm their age, no matter what age I've been. You know, I uh, clearly can't play like I used to anymore, So, um, but I try to act like I can't either. I've tried to get some, young, some younger coaches. Uh, I've got two former players on my staff now. So we've really tried to change with the times as well. Coach, one of the most common types of exchanges I hear between coaches when talking about their teams or others, especially during the offseason, at the shootouts, at the camps, is something along the lines of, oh, man, we're going to be down this year. We graduated four starters or we're really excited about our eighth grade group coming up. This is always a challenge, especially at a public school where you often are sharing athletes with other sports. What are some ways you have countered that down season, even down seasons that come along when maybe the talent, speed, or size just isn't on the roster? Yeah, you know, I think the two main things we've done there is, um, once again, building from the bottom up. You know, I, I'm talking about two years from now, right now with my coaches. You know, basically the the idea of the depth chart and, you know, Who's going to be our point guard in two years? Who's going to be this in three years? We're going to need that guy to play this for us. So I need my JV coach to play him at that position this year 
even though it may hurt our JV team this year. So I think we're really always looking ahead and trying to fit those people in the slots. We're going to need them a year or two ahead of time. The other thing that, you know, I'm very upfront about, and I tell my AD, my principal, the superintendent, I don't really care that um, we want a third of our team to be a fall athlete, a third of our team to be a spring athlete, and a third of our team to play only basketball. And it's not always perfect like that. You know, sometimes it's skewed a little one way or the other. Basketball is a different game. You know, it's not only a skill game, it's an up and down game. You've got to have a, a, a pretty, pretty full toolkit to play this game. And I need, I need time to develop kids to play at the level we play at division one against the teams we play against. And, and it, it's not going to happen three months a year. So maybe a little bit of chalk talk here, coach. Um, you know, one of the things your teams at Perrysburg is known for is your matchup zone defense, which is something I feel like you don't see run effectively a whole lot at the high school level. How do you implement this defense? And is it something that has evolved for you over the years? Yeah, just real quick, a uh, little background. We we used to go out to Newark and scrimmage uh, Gary Walters when I was at uh, Westland before Newark came into the OCC. And Gary Walters always ran a, a three-quarter court, one one three, and it gave us fits. So I started asking around a little bit and turned out that Huggins was something was running something right along the same line. So Dan Peters, who ended up on the Ohio State staff, was one of Huggins' assistants. And Dan said, "Come on up, and we'll talk." Dan and I sat down for almost a day, and he gave me the basics of what became our matchup. And then through the years, um, you know, we altered it and tweaked it, and made it ours. But it's definitely something that you know I heard a long time ago. If you're going to be a matchup coach, you got to play matchup all the time. And there's no doubt that the years we've played, tried to play 50-50, we're not near as good at either one. In the last couple of years, we've actually been more man-to-man. But I think what the matchup allows you to do is it allows you to play with your best offensive players and hide some weaker defensive players. At our level, with the kind of athletes we've got versus some of the guys we're playing against, we've got a lot of queens playing against kings, and the matchup allows us to, to negate that to some degree. So, Coach, having been on the sidelines for as long as you have, I'm sure you've developed some relationships with officials. What's your philosophy when it comes to working with officials, especially in high-pressure situations? You know, I've heard a, heard a saying a long time ago, back when newspapers were king, it said, uh, don't make enemies with people who buy ink by the barrel. And um, I sort of look at referees the same way. They've got the control, so there's not a whole a whole lot of reason to, to argue with them. So my, my rule of thumb is just to say, good call. I've been trying to tell my kid that all year and, and just work with them. You know, I don't do the histrionics, you know, to the crowd and, and, and yell very much at all, to be honest. You know, in the bigger picture, I see a lot of referees in the off season, whether it's the summer type stuff. I run an AAU program and we run tournaments. So I see the referees all year. If I had one major disagreement right now, it would be the, the prevailing mode of from free throw line to free throw line. You can basically assault the other kid and the other team. And then once inside the paint, you get anywhere near them, it's a foul. And I, you know, I've tried to talk to some referees about that, but I think that's what they're being taught. 
you know, that's what the college guys are doing and, and it all filters down. But, you know, they say, well, it wasn't an advantage. And I'm like, well, at that particular time, they didn't steal the ball from my kid. Kudos to my kid. But over the course of 30 minutes, you know, my guy looks like he's been in a in a 15-round boxing match and it takes its toll. So I would rather we just call the game as the game. Uh, and the other thing is I, I hate the block charge call. I wish we had the college rule, you know, where you could, you know, make the basket and have the foul. There's there's just so many crucial calls on the block charge that, you know, send people to state tournaments and send people to win leagues and things like that. And, you know, I wish the referees had a, a bailout. Yeah, Coach, I, I've always argued, I think the block charge is one of the toughest calls in all of sports. So, Coach, you've been around the game for a long time, and, and you've seen the game evolve both on and off the court. You know, you had mentioned some previous interviews um, one thing you worked hard to cultivate with your program is having players who are realistic about their abilities and how they can fit into helping the team win. I, I love that. And I think that kind of goes back to what you mentioned about being upfront and being blunt with, with your players. Um, you know, a lot of high school players, they want to play at the next level, but the reality is very few do, as we know. You know, do you think it's more challenging now with everyone seeming to want to the highlight mixtape and, and chasing scholarships to get your athletes to not take their high school playing days for granted, as opposed to say before social media took over? Yeah. You know, when, when I was at Westland, I thought a number of years had better talent than Upper Arlington and Upper Arlington routinely beat us. And, and I felt one of the reasons was that those kids didn't live and die on their performance every game because they knew they were moving on to college and they were going to, you know, have have another life and basketball was going to end. And then a lot of my kids at Westland, you know, they were playing like it was for their life every game. And I thought Perrysburg had a, cho- a chance to be like an Upper Arlington, and it has. And, you know, we've been able to, t- what we've been able to sell is that, you know, we do a, it's not quite the same at Perrysburg as we did it in uh, Columbus, but I do an alumni tournament and, and we have everybody play on Friday night. And then that night we go out and we pretty much take over a sports bar type thing. And what I tell our kids every year is that the teams that achieved, the teams that succeeded, they're going to be right up front. They want to be seen. They want to be in the mix of guys talking about the basketball days. And the teams that weren't as good, that didn't sort of get the job done, they're going to be over in a corner somewhere, sort of head down, talking amongst themselves, and, you know, probably slide out the back pretty quick. And I'm like, you have no idea how long this is going to last. And that's what you're playing for is for lasting memories. And it's not about the one shot you made. It's what you did as a group. Coach, in listening to a podcast interview you did last year, you covered the off-season objectives and how your program handles that. You do exit interviews like I'm sure a lot of coaches do. But one idea that I liked that you mentioned was taking it one step further and having your players take that written evaluation home with them and sharing it with their parents. How much do you credit that student-athlete accountability you promote to the sustained success you have had at Perrysburg? You know, I'm in constant communication with the parents. Some people have a hard time with this, but we go out with our parents often after games to sports bars and things like that. We get a big table or two that's just our guys. And, and, you know, when we lose a game, I'll make it a point 
to go over to the parents and talk to them. So we have a running communication throughout the year. And, and if I think a kid's not going to make it, I start to tell the parent that now. And, you know, the, the evaluation, the written evaluation is something that is in black and white. I tell the, the kids, take it home, show your parents, put it on your bedroom wall, look at it. And we use it throughout the summer. You know, when when somebody does something that was the same thing they did the year before, you know, I'll pull them aside and say, you need to go back and look at your evaluation. You're not getting any better. You're reverting back to what you were doing. And based on what we need as a team for you to do for us, you're not getting there. So we try and tie that whole thing together. But, you know, I think once again, the honesty with the parents and being involved with the parents. I've told our, I've told our administrators a number of times, I'm like, you know, we've got people who run companies. We've got people who are highly successful in their own field. And sometimes when they give us ideas, we act like because we went into the coaching field or the education field that they're idiots. And I'm like, they could very well be fantastic coaches if that's what they chose to do. So I think we need to listen to our parents. I think we need to make them part of it and understand that they're part of the program. And I think that gets buy-in from them as well. So coach, maybe for some of our listeners who might not be quite as familiar with where Perrysburg is uh, geographically, you know, it's very unique you know, being in the corner of Northwest Ohio, where Michigan and Indiana are just a short drive away. You know, and obviously there's no shortage of stiff competition in your league and your district. Um, when you go to approach, you know, your summer schedule or your non-conference schedule, how important is it to you to expose your team to a variety of teams with different levels of talent and playing styles? I think it's really important. And we've tried to do that as as much as possible. And, and, you know, I think you got the scrimmages at the beginning of the year. You got your pro, uh, actual schedule. You've got the summer season. And then you've got the AAU season where kids can can get out as well. And, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're going to turn down games that we probably can win in order to play somebody better. Uh, and sometimes that means playing a smaller school, too, because they've got great players. But, you know, it's hard that Michigan has different rules. Indiana has different rules. You know, we're not going to go down to Kentucky or West Virginia, but we do try and get everywhere in the state. We're going down to play Hilliard Bradley last year. We were in the newer tip-off tournament uh, the year before. Uh, we did a home-and-home with Westlake. We go down to Lima and we play in a Christmas thing every year. So we try and take our kids all over. And But, you know, here's the thing. West of I-75 is basically Indiana, and it's basketball country. And, and basketball is important here. Um, the, the gyms on Friday night are more filled up than they are down in Columbus, unless you get a great rivalry. But up here, basketball is very important. And, and people are smart about the game, not just your parents, but the fans as well and the fans in the area. So that was one of the things I really look forward to coming back was that when I was in Columbus, you could tell the basketball was not as important as, as football was for sure. Nothing against football, but um, basketball is important up here, and, and, and it's good basketball. There's just not that many big teams. So, Coach, just kind of follow up to that one a little bit. Um, maybe compare and contrast, you know, what you saw on a Friday night, Jim, in Columbus when it came to basketball as opposed to Northwest Ohio. Yeah, you know, like I said, ba basketball is not as big in Columbus. So one of the things I tried to do was I tried to find great programs. We played – DeMatha High School out of Washington, D.C. Coached against Morgan Wooden. We played against 
Tyler, Texas, who was the number one team in Texas at the time. We did a home-and-home with Canton McKinley back when they were the best team you can find. We were down in the Shoemaker Center in Cincinnati um, playing great teams. So I think it's really important wherever you are to make basketball big and show your kids the highest levels of the game and, and convince them how close they are to it. So Dave, now we'd like to transition to a segment we call Triple Threat. We're going to give you three topics and let you share your first thoughts, ideas, experiences, or your suggestions with our listeners. Are you ready? Sure. All right. First one, uh, pick this up another interview I listened to. You used a phrase once that I immediately locked into my coaching vocabulary. You said, the most important shot is the best shot. Where did that come from and how do you sell it to your players? Well, you know, I think it just comes from looking at statistics and looking at successful teams and what they do. And I mean, I don't think there's anything, any doubt about it, that shot selection might be the single most important thing in the game of basketball. What we say to our kids all the time when, when we take a shot or their team does, is that advantage us or advantage them? In other words, did we just make them take a shot that put us in the advantageous position? And conversely, are we going to take shots that they want us to take. And then we, we've got a little saying, you know, that when we're sitting in the corner of the gym at the end of the JV game, before we run out, um, you know, for the for the warm-up, I say to our kids, are, are we plus six or minus six? I always believe that one team is up six before that game ever starts. I heard a thing about Bear Bryant. They said that Bear Bryant's teams were always a touchdown ahead before the game ever started. And just because of their their belief in what they do, and even if you want to call it arrogance. And we've tried to develop that in our kids, that because what we do is going to consistently put us in the upper hand, we're plus six standing right here before the game ever starts. So, Coach, number two, rank the following on your preseason priority list. Conditioning, skill work, lifting, playing five-on-five. This is a little bit of a contrary opinion, but to me, conditioning is last. Um, I think the other three, skill work, lifting, and five-on-five are really, really important. But I think if we do all those right, we're going to be conditioning. We don't really run. You know, we've done all kinds of agility things through the years that we've looked at. And, you know, it just seems to me like consistently somebody gets hurt and, and you lose part of the season. And I say, you know, we're in the weight room. We're trying to make basketball players stronger. We're not trying to make basketball players weightlifters. And I don't want to try and make a basketball player an Olympic athlete because a lot of times they're not great basketball players. We're trying to make basketball players good basketball players. And the best way to do that is by playing basketball. Now, we're going to play three on three. We're going to play four on four. We're going to play five on five. We're going to have all kinds of different rules in those games. And we're going to put something on those things, you know, but it's never terrible. So I think conditioning is last. The other stuff is all big. All right, coach. Number three, uh, what qualities do you love in an assistant coach? I think the single most important thing in an assistant coach is that they love being in the gym, uh, that they want to be there. Um, I understand that we all have families and we've got young kids and all that. And, and we set up with our coaches each part of the year spring, summer, and fall besides the season, we, you know, what we're going to be doing and 
you know, who's going to be there what nights. And I never asked my coaches to be there every single night, but I want them to want to be in the gym. Now, exactly what qualities do they have? You know, I, I look at that two ways. One, what what am I weak at? So probably number one quality for me is to find guys who can help where I'm weak and, um, and, and you know, sort of fill out the staff in that way. And then what else can somebody add to the program? Sometimes youth, a good, solid, younger guy adds something to the program. Sometimes uh, a guy who's just really, really hard-nosed adds something. Somebody who's a great shooter. So to me, it's more of complimenting each other. But the most important thing is you got to have people who love being in the gym. So, Coach, this has been awesome. Um, we have one more question for you before we let you go. Um, and thank you for coming on the show tonight, spend some time with us here on the Holding Court Podcast. You know, it's not very often we get to sit down with a coach who's been a play caller for nearly 900 games. So your insight is invaluable to our audience. So, Coach, like we previously mentioned, you're, you're closing in on 600 career wins. Your teams have won 14 league championships, 13 sectional titles, three district titles. You've been named the Ohio Coach of the Year in 2010 and received the prestigious Paul Walker Award in 2019. You know, we as coaches are often propped up by our loved ones at home who have to deal with the roller coaster of highs and lows that come with having a coach in the family. Talk to us about what it's been like sharing that journey with your wife, Karen, and your two boys, David and Brian, who you had the special privilege of coaching when they were in high school. I, I think they're really important, and I think that's the only way you can stay in it for 40 years is to have people who are, are in it with you. Uh, my wife, Karen, is great. You know, she helps out. She supplements the program wherever she can. But it, it's tough. It's tough on wives, and it's tough on kids. I was very fortunate that both my boys were were good and we had a lot of talent a lot of uh, success when they were on the team I enjoyed coaching them but I, I will tell you it was hard on them just you know at school it was it was hard on them. certainly in the other gyms when Brian's at the free throw line and, you know they're yelling out daddy's boy and you know all that stuff but but they were they were tough kids and, and loved it and you know it's same thing I talked about the alumni game when you know, whenever you get back together, you know, and you're having dinner or you're meeting up for Christmas or something like that, and you can talk about those seasons and and the success you had together, I, I think that's probably what makes this whole thing worthwhile. Thanks for listening to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, Keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook at Ohio BK Coaches, on Instagram at OHSBCA1947, and online at www.oh.nhsbca.org. Until next time.